As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We're kind of going off a little early here. I hear that podcast growling, uh, but you know what? We got things to do, so that's what we're going to do. We're just gonna we're gonna get it going. I want to make sure we welcome everybody. And Jay, how are you doing? Doing well. Things didn't go super for the Bengals yesterday, but that's all right. There's still plenty to talk about, plenty to digest. Um, I want to point out that there's some stuff that uh, you can check out. Of course, the walkout is up. For those of you that have not listened to that, you can go check out the walkout. And uh, of course, you also have. Um, show on the YouTube channel tomorrow. Uh, if you want to see our smiling faces and, and all the goods we have, I've got the red flag. We may need the red flag tomorrow. Jay. Ooh, did you sure. did you did you read out the the gold part of it? Is it all red now? Or are we still People's Republic of China? It's it's no, it's it's still the People's Republic <laughs> of China for now. It's it's it was the reddest flag. Like it's it's just not a political statement. It was just the right. Flag. We may, but we may need to wave it. We may, we may need to wave it tomorrow. Um, so we've also got uh, your stories up on Joe Burrow, Jay. Um, mm-hmm. any, any takeaways from diving deeper into that, uh, last night and today? No, I mean, nothing really surprised me. Um, the, the, uh, belief that these guys have in him is not surprising. But I think the hardest thing about writing that was trying, trying to not make it sound like, a moral victory because nobody was taking it that way, but it's, it's undeniable that it says something turnovers lose a turnover batter five battle, five, nothing. One of them is returned for a touchdown, seven sacks, and you you're still an extra point away from winning the game. So I don't think anybody's, as I said, taking that as a moral victory, but, it, it just furthers the the Joe Burrow legend that he can overcome pretty much damn anything except maybe himself. And and he was his own worst enemy yesterday. Um, but Lyle Collins was uh, very open about how he thought he did not play up to his standard. And um, I, I just, 
you, you can make all the debate about it you want about resting guys in the preseason and, and the burrow being a little rusty from the appendectomy. But the, the, the point of the matter is when the green flag drops on the season, you've got to be ready to go. And they were not. Yo, you're, you're, you're right about that. I, I, and I think there's, I think there's a real discussion uh, about, you know, how sloppy and rusty they looked through the first quarter half. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I don't think you can get a, get around that as much as they want to. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, because the, the, the instant thing is, okay, you're going to sit here and you're going to say, all right, well, their decision to take it so easy in the, in the off season and through camp and not play starters in the preseason. I think that gets, gets misconstrued as saying you wouldn't still do it the same way, or it's not the best idea in the long run. This is exactly what we said in the run-up, right? I mean, this is what we said in the run-up is that in in making these decisions that are best in the long run, you do open up yourself a bit in the short run. And Pittsburgh was a team specifically designed to try to take advantage of that in the short run, and and they did. And and Joe Burrow's lack of work in the preseason due to the appendectomy, putting him behind and out of rhythm. Yeah, I mean, sure, I'm sure that is a part of it, and but. I that doesn't necessarily mean that you know that was the wrong decision to do. To me, I just thought there was too much of a feeling in running up to the game and in through camp of of general overconfidence from the team. I think they the the flip the switch mentality that we mentioned a bunch didn't have as much to do with playing guys in the preseason. It was just sort of the idea that it always felt the whole time that they were just going to get on the field and everything was going to work just like it did back in February. And that, and, and, and that just wasn't what wasn't, wasn't the case. And so I, it's, it's a challenging thing to try to get into, uh, would eight, would, would one drive for the first team offense have really made everybody more comfortable? I, I just don't, I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's the case. Yeah. And think about it this way too. If, if they do kick that extra point and win that game and they say, Oh, we, we were able to flip the switch and yeah, we started a little rusty, but we overcame five turnovers. We overcame seven sacks. Then, then maybe it's, it's the opposite and they, they go to Dallas super overconfident and lay an egg there. I don't think there's any chance they're going to be walking into to Dallas lightly, even with Dallas losing Dak Prescott. So it, it, it's just all about how it hits you. And, um, you know, you mentioned the, right or wrong part of of taking it easy in the preseason and not playing the starters the Bengals weren't the only team it wasn't the Bengals and the Rams there were a lot of teams that did not play their starters in the preseason I don't have the full list here in front of me I would venture to guess some of them won yesterday so it's it's not a it's not a template where you don't play your guys in in the preseason you're going to struggle in week one It, it can happen that way you open yourself up for criticism if it does happen that way but that that was the way Zach Taylor elected to to approach it and they walked into the week one healthy where some other teams that did play their, their starters in preseason, that was not the case. There's, I mean, to me, the, the takeaway from yesterday was also, there's really no situation where, where Burrow won't have the resiliency to have you with a shot at the end of the game. Yeah. I mean, to, to the, the fact of you take a couple of screen grabs as I was going through the rewatch today and it's like, stop this moment in time, right? This dude <laughs> saw everything go wrong, and they're lining up for the walk-off, 
extra point, you know, I mean, throws the ball to chase really had the pass before that, that Thomas couldn't hold on to. I mean, a million throws to get them down there, multiple drives to get them down there, you know, had the one in the end zone to chase that wasn't ruled uh, a touchdown and they didn't get the challenge, but didn't challenge it before going up on the ball. I mean, he made so many throws once he settled in and really, and once the line settled in a little bit, made thro- so many plays and, and looked like a little bit like the, the burrow of what well, I think what you expected them to be. It was just the first half was so dreadful. They were so set up to get taken out that it put them behind and, and, and made it, made it that much more challenging, but to come there and still be basically have the game won multiple times. Um, despite all of that, I think tells you, I think they, who they were from that second half on is, is a, is a greater indicator of the type of team. They still have that resiliency, the type of team they're still going to be as the year goes on. Um, I want to remind everybody, yeah, well, it, it, oh, sorry, Jay, go ahead. Well, I was just, say, I don't want to do a, a complete U-turn here, but I, I do think Joe Burrow gets a little too much credit for for having them in that position at the end. Yes, he's a quarterback, but the defense gets a hell of a lot of credit for that. After that fourth and goal that they missed uh, and Steelers get the ball back, a lot of situations they run out the clock and Joe Burrow doesn't get another chance. There were there were so many times in that game that the defense kept giving the ball back to Joe Burrow so he could make something happen and they didn't have any turnovers and they didn't have any real splash plays, but that was a hell of a job by the Bengals defense. And admittedly the Steelers aren't a juggernaut on offense, but I, I do think uh, too much of the attention for, for getting the team in position at the end to win the game is, is on Joe Burrow and his comeback as opposed to what that defense did in that game. No question. Uh, I mean, the defense, you're right. I mean, Pittsburgh is not going to be, a team that's going to scare people all year, but they, the defense played great. They made stops every time they needed to. They were put with their backs against the wall in bad positions over and over again, found ways for the most part to limit the damage. I mean, really only the, the couple drives there at the end that they got in the field goal range, but outside of that, you had the one, the one drive over 50 yards. I mean, everything else was either a short field or shut down uh, completely. So you're right about that. But we, and we'll see what that looks like against a tougher defense, a tougher offense. That won't come next week because Cooper Rush is going to be the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, with Dak Prescott out with that that injury he sustained last night, six to eight weeks, the reports out of Big D. So uh, the Cowboys, it, a far bigger mess than the Bengals. And uh, so I, that's also on the horizon. And then they'll have another backup quarterback uh, in New York with whether it's Joe Flacco or they decide to trot old Mike White out just because for, for, for the good feelings sake, uh, who knows <laughs> at that point. But so you, you've got to go beat Cooper Rush and Joe Flacco to get yourself the two and one before Thursday night football. Uh, you know, it's, it's this league moves fast. It churns, but the, you know, the, the, I, the, the feelings of a bad game, the 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 world is collapsing around you feeling. I think that you have sometimes after losing a, an opener, especially one that you felt like you should win and that was so anticipated. I think some sides once you start getting into the long game routine of the season and let it start to play out. So what we're trying to offer that perspective before we allow you guys to start asking questions or yelling, whatever you want to do. I love you guys because you guys are always pretty rational, pretty calm here in the live rooms. I appreciate that. You know, it's not always like that out in the comment sections of the internet. So 
thank you for that. Uh, I look forward to your questions. Drop them into the queue. We'll get to as many as we can. If you want to talk, if you have comments that you want to make, or if you have a question you want to drop into the chat, uh, you can do that as well. We may pop into that as well uh, on top of bringing some people up onto the stage. And when you bring out, come up on the stage, please unmute yourself. And uh, we will do our best uh, to take as many questions as we can. Let's start right up here at the top uh, and bring John N. up onto the stage. John, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Doing great. great. So it seems to me, and I think it's pretty obvious to anyone watching, like this team, it appears to be a lot like the team last year. You know, the offense comes out struggling, um, defense carrying the day for the most part, O-line still a little shaky, offensive play calling, you know, these scripted plays that they have spent all this time doing. And I have yet to see, you know, a successful, really uh, scripted play opening drive that just looks amazing. Um, so my question to you is what, what do you think needs to be fixed for that, you know, for us to sustain opening drive success and, and not fall behind early? Well, I mean, it's a good question, but it's, it, it's so hard because you, you, especially in the opener, you're not you, you you can and it's a, a division opponent you think you know what you're gonna get but it's it, it's cliche but it's it's a boxing match it's feeling it's two teams feeling each other out trying to see uh what what this game is gonna be like you know Joe Burrow and Brian Callahan both talked about that last week where usually by the end of the first quarter you have a pretty good idea and yeah you can get into attack mentality but you you have certain other things you want to establish you don't you you may want to save some of your better things uh your better plays your better looks for for later in the game and in more important situations so it's it it's just a matter of of kind of feeling it out and i i think a lot of times that comes down to establish in the run, and, and we did see the Bengals try to to get Mixon going early, and it just wasn't there for him yesterday. It's uh, so much attention's on this offensive line and the lack of chemistry and, and snaps together, and what it meant as far as Joe Burrow taking hits. But the, the run game wasn't great either, and I, I I really think that that was a big part of what they were trying to do is get Mixon going and, and get that established to try to take some of the heat off of Burrow, and it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, I, you know, the, the first drive thing, I think the scripted play stuff can can get a little overrated. I'm always more interested in the adjustments you make as the season goes along. And, and Jay, I mean, I know you, hashtag Jay's got stats always on the, the drives, not just in the middle eight, but coming out of the third quarter and dominating that third quarter all year last year. That was from plays that they set up, they wanted to set up in the first half to come out and do in the second half and adjustments that they would make on the fly. You know, I, I, cause the defense is doing that too, right? The defense is preparing all cooking up all kinds of stuff too. And Pittsburgh clearly had all kinds of things that they were trying to uh, disrupt the Bengals line with expose Cordell Volson and, and try to confuse Joe Burrow with in that, in that first half. And it worked. I, you know, I, I'll be, I was certainly, I think that trend of the opening drive and the first couple of drives thing is noted because that was part of the thing last year. And we'll see as the year goes along if that continues to be, um, an, an issue. But, you know, I think I, I would point more towards 
success on the first drive of the third quarter. And in that full third quarter last year is, you know, what you look for more, what I'd be concerned more. I mean, anybody can sit and spend a lot of time and try to cook up a few plays here and there. I just think the adjustments on the fly is what I look more for when I get to play calling and working things as the game goes along. That, But I think the, the opening drive thing is noted. The last thing they want to do is continually be playing from behind um, all the time. And that did happen a lot last year. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go up next here and let's bring uh, Michael P up onto the stage. Michael P, how are we doing? How's it going, fellas? Hey, Michael. How are you? Hey, I'm doing okay. Uh, Jay, I'd just like to, to say Paul guilted me into behaving, so I guess I'm going to have to keep my comments. <laughs> Try to put a gentle. disclaimer out there. That's all. That's all. You, do who, you do you. We're here to help. It's there. I, I do appreciate that. Um, first off, I would like to say, you know, there's one thing that this team has done. Um, is the fact that I was hanging on the edge of my seat the whole game, even when we were getting beat up, even when things weren't looking good. And it's like, oh, here comes the old line again. It was like, you know what? I have faith in this team. I know they're going to come around. I know they're going to be in it. And just to have that feeling from the way we've had in the past has been amazing. So I would like to start by saying that. Good. It's just it's like the compliment sandwich, right? Like you got to start with something nice. <laughs> it, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now to the meat of the sandwich, which uh, stinks like rotten, whatever, uh, Arby's meat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Steelers. I am. I don't understand how they continually get away with their cheap shots, with their uh, taunting, with everything else that they do. I understand. Go win it on the field. I get all that. I understand. But my God, I mean, how many times is, you know, TJ Watt got to come up and get an extra shot in on Burrow or, you know, Taylor comes unglued because Higgins gets knocked out of the game. And it reminded me of that playoff game all over again. It's like, I don't understand how they're taunting the play does. We don't get the result that we want. They're chirping in our ear. So Chase pulls a mouthpiece out and he gets fined for flag for taunting. I don't understand it. And it happens all the time with this team. And it's like the league just doesn't care to enforce it. Now, Granted, I was at a local establishment, so maybe my perception was a little obscured, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it just seems like it's just so frustrating, guys. And I just wanted to know your take on it. Yeah, no, I I, look, I I don't think that's uh, from just people drinking at the local establishment. I think that's from decades of Bengals fans feeling like feeling like this. This is the way these games go. and, And this is the way that they see 
you know, I mean, I'm not going to go back through the list. I've already, I brought up the, the name of Stokely yesterday and people are mad at me for that. So I'm just like, I don't want to go down the list of dealers cheap shots over the years, but I think you're sensitive to it. I think yeah, understandable because it does seem to be repetitive. The other part of it is though, I wouldn't say they turned a blind eye to it. I mean, let's talk about a massive flag against Mika Fitzpatrick for one more time going up top on, on, on a throw towards the end of the game there that, that set him up close to me there. There, it's not like it hasn't been flagged. I, I was surprised there wasn't more of a look or discussion about the, the hit to the head on T Higgins. Um, but it, it wasn't something that was completely ignored. And, and Minko was certainly getting his shots in as, as was TJ Watt. But I think, you know, what, I guess they have to play up to their, their, their black air force one reputation thing that they were trying to uh, throw out there. Right. And be up to no good. I guess that was kind of uh, something that, I mean, that stuff, I think the willingness to go up to the edge and over it sometimes is kind of a Tomlin staple, right? Yeah. I, so I didn't hang up as soon as he said rotten Arby's meat. I said, Hey, wait a minute. Next thing I know, I got booted out of the room. So <laughs> I, I, I jumped back in to hear him talking about uh, hear Michael talking about the, the taunting penalty on Jamar Chase. And and I tweeted the same thing, how ridiculous that is to get a taunting penalty after you missed a shot to go ahead on the fourth and goal. Um, asked Jamar about it in the post-game locker room yesterday, and he wasn't he ripped Witherspoon's mouthpiece out of his mouth. Now, yeah, that's a personal <laughs> foul, but he said he'd been talking trash all day. He was sick of hearing it. That's not really taunting. That's just a, a fed up so it'll be interesting to see if he actually gets fined for taunting because it, it comes with a mandatory fine usually. But we'll, we'll see if if the league takes a look at that and, and decides the penalty was enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh had twice as many penalties. I, I did, It was hard for me. I have to go back and watch. I don't know if you put it in super slow-mo. The, the, the Higgins concussion, it was like three guys just kind of crunched him there. And it was really hard to tell, you know, who – who had the the actual hit that that caused it? And uh, again, there if if there if they look at that and determine that that it was, uh, tar- I know targeting is not a foul in the NFL, but if it was an illegal helmet to helmet hit, that then Mika still can get fined even though they didn't penalize him. So that's another thing we'll find out later in the week um, when we when we get the the answer on the fines from this game. Yeah, I guess I guess when the guy's not wearing a chain, you go you you can't rip the chain off. You go for the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, also of note, uh, Witherspoon was the one targeted directly in what ended up being what should have been the walk off touchdown pass uh, at, at the end of regulation. Um, all right, let's go and bring uh, Fisher C up onto the uh, stage. Fisher, how are we doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing awesome. good. Hey. Uh, you know, I was pretty shocked yesterday when I got on. I mean, obviously the first half was rough, but I feel like, you know, we've talked a lot about goodwill and faith that we've, you know, that coaching staff and front office and especially the players have built up over the last couple of years. And it, they deserve more than a half before the sky starts falling. And uh, and I would have been more concerned had Burrow not gotten up, made every play down the stretch to put us in a position to win the game. We were, you know, and I, I know – as you guys said on the walkout, and I saw you know all over the place, you don't have a chance to win a game that you turn the ball over five times in very often. And we were right there. We were a long snapper away from winning that game. And uh, and that's what Pittsburgh does. Did that shock anyone? Because it didn't shock me. They beat Buffalo last year, week one. 
they win games they're not supposed to win every year. It drives me nuts. I hate them. I hate Tomlin. But at the <laughs> end of the day, I, it didn't surprise me. I hate it because I hate all my Steelers fans that I'm friends with, and I can't believe that I'm saying I'm <laughs> friends with them. But uh, this guy's not falling. Joe got up. He made the plays. Jamar, they diverted all their attention to Jamar. He finished the game with 130 yards and a touchdown. What, scored the walk-off touchdown. Had one of the most ridiculous, ridiculous non-catches that I've ever seen in football. And uh, I was just proud of their effort down the stretch. I thought the defense was lights out. A um, little curious what you guys think about the uh, the hush-hushness on the Dax Hill plan. And then he got six snaps. That one kind of confused me. But I thought Volson got better. They lined up a Hall of Famer across from him all day. Um, and then they let T.J. Watt go. And T.J. Watt did T.J. Watt things. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to be fine. I think we're going to beat Dallas next week. Take care of New York. And then you see what happens at home against the Dolphins. But, uh, but curious to your guys' thoughts on Volson as the game went on. Thought Kappa and Karras played really well too. Um, don't know what you guys think about that, and then why why Dax Hill wasn't kind of utilizes that chess piece that we all thought he was going to be. Sure, sure, I appreciate it, Fisher. Uh, yeah, you know I, that is exactly you know when, when they when Minka Fitzpatrick had the pick six in the first throw of the game. So well, that that's exactly how Pittsburgh is going to win games all year, how they're going to have to win games all year. That's how Mike Tomlin doesn't have a losing record, even though he had Duck Hodges a few years ago. Like They just win with defense and special teams uh, and making those those weird small plays. I'll give you that. Um, I'll take the Dax Hill portion of this. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that the, the plan, the like super secret Dax Hill plan, only played six snaps, would be probably more conditioned for high powered passing offenses, you know, yep. we, we, in, and so you, you're not concerned with Mitch Trubisky throwing the ball down the field. There were just very few opportunities, few chances to even go into that. For one, the defense is shutting them down so much. Uh, and two, you know, they're just, that's going to be designed for the Herberts and the Mahomes and the Josh Allens of the world, uh, and, which is so much of this league, obviously, where then you're out there and you've got these guys and these chess pieces you can move around. Against the Steelers, who are just only apparently trying to do things sideways for like, you know, four hours, you, that's not as as useful. I mean, you're going to see ADG in there. You're going to see them with Pratt and Wilson together. You're going to see much less of the – the, the hybrid players. And so um, I think that's part of the Dax Hill plan. I don't think it's that they don't still have one. It's that this just probably wasn't the team that it's designed to take advantage of. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And a little inside baseball here. I know it's football, but the term inside baseball. Uh, Paul and I were talking about what we might write about in this game. And I had an idea to maybe track every Dax Hill snap and where he lined up and kind of break down this Swiss Army knife. And I have a Word document with about 50 instances that say no Dax. First and 10, 25, <laughs> no Dax. Second, 5, 30, no Dax. Uh, that, that did not play out. But I, I think you're right. I think that's why they were so hush-hush, because they didn't want to – they don't. They, they weren't going to come out and say, "Oh, we're not using him in this game." It's it's the Steelers. So, um, we're, he is going to play a lot this year. I don't think anything changed from that. Um, Volson, uh, I, I do. I think he got better. I haven't broken down the film. Um, it'll be interesting to 
to hear today uh, from Zach and, and what, what they thought, um, how he played better. But I thought the O-line as a whole played better in the second half. It, it, there was still pressure from time to time, but it wasn't the, the constant onslaught like it was in the first half. And as far as the just the everybody being so upset and, and it kind of just I don't, I don't know if I say on the ledge, but I think a lot of I think a lot of people are still scarred from that run that the Steelers had. If this was any other team, I think people would be more willing to say, OK, it's a season opener, one game, put it behind them, move on. But I, I think Bengals have taken Bengal fans have taken ribbing from Steelers fans for so long and any time they lose to that team and they hear it from the Steelers fans that they're friends with, like, like our question uh, referenced or the Steelers fans in the stadium. It just, it sits wrong and it, it, people were just apoplectic. I mean, the, the fire Zach comments and the, the season's over and they didn't fix anything. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, I don't, it's more than knee jerk. I wish I had a better phrase for it, but it's, it's just, as I said on the walkout, deep breaths, people. It's it's one game. Yeah, I don't. And that's a that's a that's a different philosophy of uh, fire the head coach in this first game after taking him to the Super Bowl. But you know, I, I get it. <laughs> I, I, I get it. People, uh, I, I get it. I get it. There's high expectations, and uh, and uh, and that's uh, that's apparent. Uh, that's okay though. Let's go and let's move on. Let's try bringing Evan D up onto the stage. Evan, how we doing? I'm good, guys. How are you? Great. Good. So one thing I noticed, and, you know, I'm just a dumb fan, so I uh, this may just be completely subjective, but um, I'm kind of surprised that other people haven't really been talking about it. It seemed kind of noticeable to me, the zip on Joe Burrow's ball. It looked a lot more like 2020 Joe Burrow than 2021. Because I remember last year, you know, he talked about during his rehab, he worked on getting his zip. And I thought it was pretty noticeable last year. It's not like he suddenly had a howitzer like Josh Allen or Herbert, but you know it was still. I think the ball was getting out faster. It was getting the targets faster. Helped him zip it in. But I thought yesterday it kind of looked like it did before. I don't know. Like, do you guys agree with that observation? Or and because I, I wonder too if it's due to the appendectomy, just you know him losing all that weight and therefore probably strength. Um, if if that's just my like I said I'm a dumb fan it may just be my own interpretation of uh, coping with what I saw but I don't know do, do you guys see that as well? No, I appreciate the question. You're not a dumb fan, Evan, because you're a subscriber to the Athletic. That's me <laughs> doing my promotional work here to make sure. Uh, but no, I, you know what? I'll say this. I I I think you're on to something. I I don't think that that's out of nowhere. I mean, he, he talked about the biggest thing was trying to get his velocity back. And while he said he feels good and he feels great and he feels like he's back up to where he's got his numbers are where he wants them to be. You're right. I mean, there, there certainly were a number of throws that he threw with some zip, but you didn't see, you know, some of those balls that were downfield certainly didn't have a lot of the same power. Now, some of that was on purpose. You know, some of the, a lot of those balls, he throws them that way on perfect per, purpose, excuse me. Um, and uh, so I, I don't, you know, I think that's something to to me. I expected it to not look totally like last year. I do think that's still going to take a little bit of time for him to get his velocity and power all the way up. Um, I I thought though the way that he was moving was pretty encouraging. Um, as far as we're talking about his total health, I mean the running the ball and the long run that he had there towards the end of the game, all that stuff I think suggests 
that um, his health is there, and maybe the and the, and the velocity will will get there in time. And that might just be a thing of just just needing the reps and and uh, to to keep working himself back up. Yeah, the other thing, and you, Paul, you mentioned this on the walkout. How many times did he have an offensive lineman being driven back right into his lap, where he can't really step into it and and throw it the way he wants to with you know, with a fully clean pocket? And then the other part of it is the 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 mechanics of improving that velocity. So much of that was footwork and torque uh, with the the core muscle area, and it's. It's not. It's going to be a while before that that part of it feels great. He's he the the. It's not just lifting weights and making your arms stronger. There's there's so much uh, mechanics that go into it, and I'm sure there it's still got to be a little tender in there with with how serious that appendectomy was. Oh, no doubt. Um, but I think I you know I don't think it, it affected his performance too much, and I and I'd be curious to see. You know, if we keep, if we get the the, the we need the, the next gen stats right on velocity and spin mm-hmm. rate, where are we at? We're camping too far till we start follow. They start following baseball, and we just we get live spin rates on the ribbon boards as the game is going. I could get I could get behind that. We might as well do that since apparently it's not good enough to keep up the clock like it was at the end of the game yesterday. <laughs> Shut it down. All right, let's just take a quick break. All right, let's go next up onto the stage. Let's bring Omar S. up here. Right, Omar, how we doing? Omar, how we doing? Hey, very, very good to, to be here. Um, calling from the UK. I've been uh, listening to you guys for years, so I'm excited to be on. Good Happy to have you. Yeah, no, that's great. So, um, look, I'm not worried about the Bengals season. I think we're, we're in good shape. That, that fourth quarter showed me everything that uh, one of the callers just, just previously said that, if Joe hadn't have let us down to, to, to tie the game, then I'd be worried, but he did. So it's all good. Okay. What I want to ask is a bit more of a philosophical question. I hope you don't mind. No. I, I, I started watching the Bengals about 10 years ago when we uh, drafted AJ Green. Um, and so I got, I got to see that really good, um, five year stretch, um, with 2015 being our big, uh, big year. Would you, um, swap? If we break it down into the component pieces, uh, the quarterback and the coaches. So if we take Marvin Lewis, uh, Hugh Jackson, and um, who was at the time, Zimmer, and switch them with our current coaching staff, which team would win? <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I, I appreciate that philosophical question, and I also – feel for you with the uh, total chaos happening in the background it's my it's I, i've had that here many a time um let, i don't i don't want to do this to people uh i i don't know how marvin lewis would have handled joe burrow i i i am kind of scared to think of that actually um i it would have been handling him far differently probably um than zach taylor has uh i i that's like an impossible ask for me. I, I think the proof is in the pudding that, you know, Zach Taylor has had one shot at a playoff run and, and the team did go to the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow. And uh, those teams, regardless of who the quarterback was, it's a very different thing, obviously, uh, had plenty of opportunities to make playoff runs and and never quite did. I don't want to uh, spend a bunch of time today rehashing the old stuff. I don't know, Jay, do you have a do you have a thought? 
it, it's an interesting question, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to go down that road right now. There, there, you'd have to do a, you'd have to really dig into that and kind of look at different reasons why pros and cons. And, um, it, it, you have to disparage somebody here and, and, uh, don't want, don't want that to be the case right now. All right. Let's, uh, let's go and bring, uh, Zachary J S up onto the stage. Zachary, how we doing? Are you with me? Can you hear me? Sorry, I was muted. Oh, yeah. No, you're good. There you are. All right. What's going on? Hey, um, so I, I don't really have any worries about this game, but I want to say that Lou Anarumo, I feel like for like eight straight games, has been very impressive. Um, what do you think the worries are about losing him to a head coach? Do you think that buzz is eventually going to get started? I mean, it, I think it's kind of weird that it hasn't already. I mean, I think he's been the most impressive coach on the staff. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. And, uh, I have, you know, when we, I specifically wanted to make sure I was focusing more writing on him this year because I felt like it got lost in the hoopla over the offense last year, how good of a job he was doing, even though we obviously talked about it, but I wanted to make sure we focused on it. So whether it was making sure he was featured in our two on two series or making sure I spent a bunch of time working into, um, the defense, uh, the defensive story before the season started to, to make sure pointing out like this needs to be the focus because internally, this is what people talk about. Not that people don't talk about the Bengals offense internally, but like when they talk about, man, I, I, why they have reason to believe this team can make runs, they talk about, gosh, this defense has just really been good and look tough and they just can do so many things. And, and from a, from a, you know, insiders insider as far as the the coaches and the the players that see it every day there's so much internal respect for Enrumo and that scheme and what he has those players doing what those players can then execute that it just you know it's why they think that they're going to be really tough and why when I talk about a high ceiling I just you you can see it and 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 I as far as the head coaching gig though and Jay you can tell me if you think otherwise I don't see him leaving for that anytime soon because I don't see many teams hiring defensive coordinators. And I I think they would have to put together a a pretty, a pretty special season and with a playoff run. Now he got an interview with the giants last year um, where he was previously. So, you know, places with connections are always going to be part of that. Uh, I mean, they would have to be a top three defense and, and the Bengals will probably have to make another run, but it's just, it's so hard for a really good defensive coach to get a job these days because it's just not the direction that most teams want to go. Yeah. Not just a defensive coach. And I, I want to couch my word. I don't want to call Lou old because he's the same age as me, but <laughs> it's not what the league is right now. They're not hiring older defensive coordinators. They're hiring young offensive minds. So that right there, he's playing from behind the eight ball. And um, he does. It's not just in the building at, at Paycor. It's across the league. Everybody he's worked with in the past. I mean, the respect for him is through the roof. But, I mean, let's not – he was, what, 52 when he got his first coordinator job. It's just – you know, so sometimes these guys, there's a shelf life and um, he may have just gotten too late of a start. Does he deserve to be a head coach? Absolutely. Will he? Uh, I'm not sure for those reasons. Uh, great question. Uh, let's bring Jerry P up onto the stage. Jerry, how are we doing? Hey, what's up, guys? Can you hear me? Sure can. What's, what's going, going on? on? 
All right. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, two quick things, guys. Uh, your thoughts on Huber's lack of ex- execution, specifically the punt in overtime. The guy, in my eyes, can't seem to kick it inside the 20 when it matters. Another touchback. And I don't know, maybe uh, a, a Jay's got stats thing here coming up. But uh, uh, And also a fun run, pass, or boot for you. Uh, what happens most this season? Uh, a, Jay mentions Arby's. B, Paul says the phrase, there is no doubt. Or <laughs> C, Jay tells a story about his uh, younger days, shenanigans, sneaking into concerts or games, etc. So I'll let you answer that. Thanks, guys. Uh, there uh, is no, there is no doubt that that's going to be me. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jay's story. See, Jay, I feel like your stories uh, are few, are certainly fewer and farther between than your love of Arby's, because uh, I, I really should be prompting the young stories more than the Arby's. And I, 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 I fault myself on this. I should really be trying to elicit more of the early stories because I, uh, we all know where you stand on all things Arby's and I appreciate it, uh, when it gets brought up by people, but I, I feel like there's just a lot of untapped potential in college and beyond Jay. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the, the Arby stuff is more reacting to other people. I, I tend not to, to bring it up on my own and um that as for the the stories there there are still a bunch of untold ones and uh i really have no shame in bringing them up as as i'm not gonna say it here but as paul found out at the uh cafeteria before the game yesterday when i when i dropped one on him so it's it's uh (laughs) it's there's plenty more there if if opportunities arise uh, on future podcasts i'll i'll be sure to uh bring up some of my shenanigans and some of my uh i guess mistakes you know what jay i think you said it perfectly i think uh the name of that segment will be a phrase that you just said we'll put it in quotes i really have no shame (laughs) that's that's what we'll call it and we'll just have you come on and just tell whatever story that we can uh try to prompt for that day i like it that's got a lot of potential Let's go. Let's bring in Timothy B up on the stage. All right. Um, not a lot. Hey, I, I'm going to throw a little bit of negativity into this, even though right. I'm not on the ledge and I'm not going to jump anytime soon. I did feel like based on last year's schedule versus this year's schedule, this was kind of a not a not a must win type of game, but a game they really needed to have, given how much more difficult the schedule is this year. And I feel like that's not being talked about a lot, at least kind of in the last you know, 24 hours since the game ended. Does this feel like it? Shouldn't this feel like kind of a gut punch, like a check where the heck they are from a preparation standpoint? I, I, I you know what? I would. I'm sorry if I cut you off there. It was sorry, I kind of lost you there for a second, uh, Timothy. Yeah, no, I would. Um, I would. I would agree with that. I, I, I feel like when I it should be a gut punch game. That should be a wake up call. You can't just come out there and not be ready to go for a half. Uh, like they kind of were totally, you know, overwhelmed. I, I don't think that's something that's going to continue, but I do think it is what they needed. You know, I, I hate, I've, I've used this word and, you know, we talk, so we've done so much content in the week leading up to the season and, and, and talking about the opener. Uh, I feel like I've used it too much because I don't want to overemphasize it, but they did have a feel of, of overconfidence and that they'd go out and flip the switch. And I, I think that, that got smacked across their face that uh, they they've got to get more serious about it. 
And uh, so for that fact, you know, I, I, I do think this will this will serve as that. Yeah, I, I, every division loss should feel like a gut punch. But at the same time, um, there, there's no truth serum flowing in that locker room. Guys are always going to put on that brave face. It, it, I'm sure it ate the hell out of them that they lost that game. But they're, they're not going to sit there and piss and moan about it in the postgame locker room to the media. Then that, that whole narrative gets out there. They're always You're always going to hear plenty of football left. Just got to correct the little things. Just got to execute. It's just it's just post game locker room speech after a loss. So I I wouldn't take what I wouldn't equate with what they're saying with what they're feeling. Sometimes you, that that raw honesty doesn't come out until you get further into a season and trends start to develop. No one has ever said, "Oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened after a season opener," um, because they they truly do believe, and, and it's a fact. Sixteen of seventeen games left. There's a lot of time to get things turned around. But yes, I I had it in my key numbers for this season that four division wins, and you can win the division with less. But that felt like a the kind of the baseline where they needed to go four and two in this division. So now you're talking about winning four of the last five. That's a tough. That's a tough climb. Yeah, but also let's remember last year early in the season, lost to Chicago in an ugly game that had a lot of similarities Very to this similar. one. Um, you know, Cleveland get they get housed at home by Cleveland. They lose to the Jets. I mean, you're you will have clunkers there, you know, and and so I don't. Yeah, it's it's one that you'd love to be sitting here with a win or a tie, I guess. Um, certainly, obviously, and one that you should have. But I think over the course of a season. You know, that's that's why it's hard to get to double digit wins. I mean, it's this 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 league has a way of doing that to you. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's try to rip through a few here before we run out of time. William, how are you? doing? Hello. Uh, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure. Can. Great. Can you hear me? Yes. OK, good. Um, I was wondering, is there any consensus on what the cause of that blocked uh, of the blocked uh, PAT was? Um, was it the speed and height of the ball, or was it just the fact that somebody failed to block Minka from coming in? Yeah, no, good question. So that was mostly uh, accredited to Minka coming in as a free runner there. You know, so it was the ripple effect of the Clark Harris injury. Mitchell Wilcox moves in and is long snapper on that. And the position he normally plays is left wing, which is where Drew Sample moved over from right wing to left wing, which shouldn't really matter. You still should be able to execute your job. It's the same thing you do on the other side. Um, but allowed Minka Fitzpatrick to run free right inside of him and leaned into the outside guy instead of going inside out. Um, maybe he didn't think Minka would be coming that fast or that high. I don't know what it was, but him coming through that spot. The snap probably didn't have as much juice, uh, certainly as your use, but I think all sides that were asked about that one said, you know, that one really was good enough. It was another part of the operation, which would be, um, you know, the, the blocking on that one. The second one, Mitch Wilcox put on himself, clearly it looked like an Ethos pitch coming in. Uh, that one threw off everything, but the, the blocked PAT was really, uh, if I was percent, you know, 80%, 85% on the block and maybe 15% on not quite having it just as tight as you'd like it to be. But that should have been good enough. There shouldn't be a reason 
that Minka Fitzpatrick comes through. But, you know, you combine those two things together and you get what you get. Yeah, well, we're going to talk to Darren Simmons later today, and it will be interesting to hear if that was a rifle snap. Does 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 he think Mika gets there in time? I I, I tend to think he would. When you have a, an athlete of that caliber coming as a free runner inside, he's going to block most field goals. So I I do I I think it's it's far more that that one is far more on Drew Sample letting Mika come. That should be an interesting session, by the way, with Darren Simmons. We'll have later today more from <laughs> more from that. Darren Simmons chugs truth serum. Yeah. <laughs> He's going <laughs> to spit it out all over the table in front of us. Uh, let's try to bring John O up onto the stage. John, how are you doing? What's happening, guys? How are we doing? Hey, what's going on? Hey, John. Curious to see if you guys saw T in the locker room at all, or if he's already vacated by the time you guys are in there, and then if he can't go, is it crocodile hunter time off the practice squad? <laughs> I wish. Uh Jay, did you see T? I I didn't. I know that I Jack did. Said he talked to him at halftime, but I didn't see T post game. I I did, and 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 so you guys, they players that are in concussion protocol are all off limits. We are not allowed to talk to them, and I I don't know if it was the effects of the hit or if it's just a disappointment. But um, I saw him just standing, staring into his locker instead of facing out uh, for for a bit of time. I I just. I, I think the disappointment was was overwhelming, but again, it's, we're not allowed to ask them how they're feeling, how how severe it is. So it's it's going to be a a wait and see game with T. But he was in there. Yeah, traditionally concussions. Just to remind people, protocol guy misses one week, maybe sometimes it's, it's usually a, it's kind of a coin flip. Usually, whether they get back for the next week or not. Um, but typically two weeks later, they're definitely back. So we'll see as, as the week goes along where he ends up in the protocol and how he does. But yeah, there's a chance they won't have him in Dallas this week, but I think you can probably feel pretty good that if this is a normal, uh, routine that you'd have him back by the Jets game. Uh, all right, let's, let's try to bring Michael B up on the stage. Michael, how are we doing? We can do it. I know we can do it. It says he's there. I know you might have to unmute Michael. Yes. Can you guys hear me? Hello. Hello. There, there we go. Hey, it was it was the old AirPods got me there. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. the AirPods. That happens. Well, yeah. Well, what do you got? All right, real quick. Um, so look, I, um, I, I actually used to work at, at uh, NFL Network, so I, I feel like I'm a reasonably advanced football mind. Um, but I, I, one thing that I feel like I, I still can't get a handle on, and there was a good tweet out there yesterday by a guy named Ben Fennel, who used to work at NFL Films, who's a big XO film guy who studied mm-hmm. a lot of tape. And it's something that I, I always struggle with with this team, and I've struggled really for the last season and a half plus, is that I still feel like I don't know what their identity is on offense, right? I mean, we see other teams, you kind of, if, if you sort of took the uniforms off and you saw some plays, you would know, hey, that's a Chiefs play or that's a Chargers play or that's a Bills play. And I feel like there's just, you know, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a guy who likes to indict play calling. I, I know how smart Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan and the whole staff is. I know how hard it is to scheme in this league. I really do. But I feel like at some point, like, of all the completions yesterday, there was never someone who was schemed wide open, right? There was never an easy completion. Everything was Jamar tight in a tight window or Tyler on a dig route or, and I know that those are the things you're going to have to do when you're facing, you know, two high shells a lot. But like, I just feel like at some point there needs to be some motion or misdirection or something to give 
people some easy throws and some easy catches and some getting to some rhythm instead of always being, you know, second and nine or third and eight or whatever. I just I wonder if if you guys feel like this offense and the sort of the scheme is still lacking as far as an identity and 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 some some ways to get some easy throws and some some open guys in open space because Lord knows they have as much talent as anybody with guys in space to be able to create. Um, just sort of curious as sort of the 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 overall philosophy of the offense and where it stands after you know three plus years now of of Zach at the helm. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad we got you up on stage. It's a great question. And it's something worth digging further into. What the one thing when I talk when when I think about identity, I know that the joke was Burrow said, right, just throw the ball to our horses on the outside, real far down the field, right? That was his mm-hmm. thing when asked about the Zach Taylor offense. The other one that I would say, I think they scheme open and an identity of their offense is that short to intermediate in breaking between Higgins and Chase. They're so good at that, and teams are so scared with those deep shells. Burrow and his accuracy in that range, they, if you, I mean, I feel like when I noticed that, especially in, in just the rewatching of the plays that Burrow would go to in big spots last year, and then certainly again in the opener here today, he, he so often goes to that, and I feel like that's sort of their bread and butter, especially when they have tea. I mean, I've talked to, Brian Callahan before, and he's talked about how that's just basically one of Joe's favorite throws is, is, is those inbreakers, those intermediate inbreakers to T where he knows he can put it in a place where only T can get it and T will catch it. And I do think they missed that yesterday, but you saw them, some of the Jamar doing that to Jamar and his ability to break the first tackle and take it to the next level. I think those are a big part. Um, you know, I, I talked about this in the pregame on the radio. Um, you know, I think they want their identity to be to be a team that pushes you into these deep shells and just destroys you in the running game against light boxes. The problem is they just don't do that. The problem is that this happened last year, and this is a part of the story yesterday. Now, Pittsburgh wasn't offering as many light boxes. They were more willing to get up there, but they were certainly had, as you would expect, a fair amount of deep coverage. And, you know, th- to only get be- besides the one – fourth and short run that Joe Mixon breaks to be at under two yards a carry uh, against a team that was 32nd in the league last year against the run. I don't care how much better you, they think they are up front. You have those receivers, you have those weapons and you're only able to get that. I mean, to me, that's a problem. I mean, that I, when we talk about identity, that's what they want to be. They want to be able to get you on every level. You know who they are deep they they really have shown a lot of propensity to do well in the intermediate. And if you're going to go light box, they've got to be able to, to kill it. I think the problem that I see is certainly some of the longer developing stuff is an issue, but I, in terms of plays that take too long and burrow gets sacked and that's where you talk about that until we're blue in the face. Uh, I just think their inability to be effective in the run game. It's a whole second half of last year. And then again, yesterday, um, I think is a is a legit concern, and I think it takes away what they want the identity of the offense to be. Yeah, and, and falling behind by fourteen in the first half is gonna it's gonna take you out of your identity. You're you're gonna have to adjust and go a different way. And as far as like you know that you see guys in motion, and that's that's a Chiefs play. You know the Chiefs are are often playing from an ahead, and so that they they get to those. And Paul and I were talking about this in the press box yesterday. There was twice we saw it where where Jamar Chase went in motion one way and they ran a toss sweep to Mixon the other way. And we're like, it's coming that one of these times they're setting it up. And one of these times they're going to give it to Chase. And it, it just, it never happened because they did. They, f- they fell behind so much. And um, I, it, 
I agree with Paul. That is what they want to be is threatening people deep. And then we're going to run it inside. And that's, that's a big part. Everybody, I keep going back to this, a big part of, of why they improve this offensive line or got the new pieces. It's not just to keep Joe Burrow upright. It's to be able to run the ball. So we will see as they move forward, if, if they can get that running game going, it, it seems crazy to think that a back of Joe Mixon's caliber would be in the two yards per carry range. Uh, yeah, and plenty of plenty of offenses, by the way, uh, certainly run empty. Uh, but I would say if you're looking for other things where you'd say, oh, there's a Bengals play, I would say <laughs> empty. And then you, oh, people would argue, yeah, empty and the quarterback gets sacked uh, might be a Bengals play. But, you know, the amount of empty they run, the quick processing uh, of some of their short, short game stuff and extended run game off that. I, if I was thinking, you know, what are their identities? I think that's part of it, too. Maybe that's part of the problem. We just named like four identities. <laughs> they have multiple personality disorders maybe part of the problem all right uh thanks everybody for listening we'll be back with the youtube and the live show tomorrow uh at 10 o'clock if you want to watch live of course archived once we get done during the day on the regular feed and uh, everything else we head into cowboys week plenty more coming your way looking forward to all of that thanks everybody for joining the live room we'll talk to you next time have a good one everybody 